0: Brother, great job as always. So thankful that we can trust in the Lord. How about you? We can trust in his promises. We can believe it. And when he tells us in his word what he tells us, we can take God's truth and we can build our life upon it and we should. Even now, I still believe. And I hope and pray that's true for you as well. Great job. Take your Bibles tonight, please, and turn with me to the book of First Corinthians. As you know, on Wednesday nights, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, straight through a book of God's Word. And so I want you to take your copy tonight and turn with me, please, to First Corinthians chapter number 9. We finished up with chapter 8 last week. And this this evening, we'll be starting in verse number 1 in just a minute. But before we do... I want to review just a little bit so that we're all on the same page. If you remember last week when we were together, I spoke to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and I told you that in chapters 8, chapters 9, and then in chapter number 10, the Apostle Paul deals with the subject of Christian liberty. And I talked to you about how important and powerful that truly is for us, and how relevant it is in our day-to-day living, because we too deal with the question of Christian liberty on a daily basis, each and every one of us. Now, you say, well, what do you mean by Christian liberty? Well, we know the Word of God gives us some things expressly that we should do. I mean, it's in black and white right there on the page. It gives us some things expressly that we shouldn't do. It's right there in black and white on the page. But there's some things that we're going to deal with on a day-to-day basis that becomes um, really a question of Christian liberty. How far does our liberty go? As the people of God, what should we do and what we shouldn't do as God's people so that we might be in lockstep with his will in our lives. Now, the we have to, don't have to question when it comes to the things expressly written out in scripture. Let me see if I can illustrate that for you. I remember um, a few years ago, um, a man wanted to meet with me one Sunday night after service. I'll never forget it. And after that Sunday morning service, he said, Pastor, I want to meet with you tonight if that's okay. And I said, man, that's fine. I said, just after service this evening, uh, we'll meet in the office. You can just meet me back there, and we'll sit down and talk together about whatever we need to talk about. He said, that'll that'll work. So after the evening service that night, I went back to my office after um, greeting everybody as they was leaving. And he was already in there. And I sat down, and I said, well, what you got? And he said, well, I really feel as though the Lord told me to kill you true story. And I said, brother, I want to tell you something. I can promise you, Jesus never told you to kill me. I know that was not what God said. And he said, well, how do you know that? I said, I know that because the Lord is never going to tell us to do something that he has told us not to do in his word. The Lord is never going to contradict himself in leading us in a certain direction, telling us to do something that would not be in lockstep with what his word has already said. He's not going to do that. How many of you believe tonight that God's word is his absolute truth? And that's what I spoke with him. It is God's absolute truth to us. It tells us who God is. It tells us who we are. It tells us how much God loves us and what he's done for us in the person of Christ. He tells us how we can know him. He tells us how we can serve him. He tells us how we can love him. All of that is found in the Bible, and all of it is God's absolute truth to us. And in the Bible, it says, thou shalt not kill. And I said, brother, if the Bible says thou shalt not kill, Jesus is not going to tell you to kill somebody. He's not going to tell you to commit murder. That's not the Lord. You know." And so what I'm trying to say is there are certain things in the word of God that God tells us we should do. And there are certain things in the Word of God that God tells us that we shouldn't do, okay? But we're not really talking about those areas. We're talking about those areas that are doubtful, that we wonder how far should we go in this specific area. And maybe the Lord don't expressly say it in His Word. I mean, I told you last week that years ago I had a pastor that would not allow a TV in his home. He felt that having a TV in his home would not be pleasing unto the Lord, and so he never had one, you know, the whole time that... Uh, that I knew him, that he was my pastor. He didn't allow that. Now I want to tell you something. As a matter of Christian liberty, he has the freedom to not have a TV. And you know what? I'm not I'm not mad at him because of it. However, I have the freedom to have one. Okay. The Bible says nothing expressly about whether or not we're to have TVs. Now, why is that? Because the Bible was written two thousand years ago, amen. And longer. <laughs> there wasn't any TVs then. <clears throat> Amen? So it would be crazy for the Bible to say expressly, uh, you shouldn't have a TV in your home. You know, some Christians feel that it's wrong to go to a movie theater and watch a movie. I, I've had people ask me that question. And, and you're not going to find anything about that in black and white, expressly in the Word of God. You're not going to see that. So how do we make those good God-honoring choices and decisions? Well, what you got to remember is, is that it's a matter of Christian liberty. And Paul deals with that over and over and over again in the book of 1 Corinthians. We've already looked at some of them. Some of them we're uh, going to look at tonight and in the next few weeks. But um, I want to give you just a few of them that you can write down. And, and this, these verses will be truly helpful for all of us if we'll take them and apply them to our life. First one comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You'll remember this one in verse number 12. 1 Corinthians 6 Verse number 12, look what the Bible says. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I would not be brought under the power of any. So what's Paul saying? All things are lawful for me. I can do all things. I have the free will to do what I choose to do. And the things I choose to do are not going to cost me my salvation. Now, why is it true that the things you do are not going to cost you your salvation? That's not how you gain salvation. If I can't gain salvation by doing things, then I can't lose salvation by doing things. It's not a matter of my goodness that brings me salvation. Amen? It's not a matter of me keeping a set of rules and regulations. Uh, That's not my salvation. That's not what brought me my salvation. So Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Not all things are going to help me do the things that God wants me to do and be what God wants me to be. Not all things are going to help me be the brother or sister in Christ that I want to be to others. Are you getting what I'm saying? So he, he tells that plainly, all things are lawful but not all things are helpful. If you're reading in the King James, then it's going to say expedient. I like that. When it's talking about expedient, to be expedient means to be on the right path, to be headed in the right direction. And so what he's what he's saying is that, you know, all things may be lawful, but not all things are going to keep me on the path I need to be on in pleasing the Lord throughout my life. Does that make sense to you? Let's go from 1 Corinthians 6 and 12 to 1 Corinthians 8 and 8. We looked at this last week. Watch what he says right here. This is really good. But food does not commend us to God. I like that. For neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat we are the worse. So if you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's dealing with the subject of eating uh, meat that's been offered unto idols. These animals that had been sacrificed to false gods were being sold very cheap there in Corinth. And a lot of the new believers that were in Corinth in this church that Paul is writing to, they were asking him the question, is it okay for us to eat meat? Right? That's been offered to these idols. And so Paul makes the case that it's really not about eating meat. And he says, for neither if we eat, that don't make us better Christians, or if we don't eat, that don't make us worse Christians. It all comes down to a matter of your conscience and convictions on a lot of these subjects. Just like the brother that didn't want the TV in his home. That was a matter of his conscience and his convictions. you know. And so I support his freedom to not have one. Just like Paul says, I support... Those who don't want to eat this meat, I support their right not to eat it. And those who choose to eat it, they see nothing wrong with it. I support their right to go ahead and partake of some cheap barbecue, right? That's what he's saying to them. That's what he's saying to us. Now let's go on to first Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 23. Very good verse. Can't wait till we get to 1 Corinthians 10, man. Such a powerful chapter. All things are lawful for me, says, but not all things are helpful or expedient. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. So let's go back and, and, and think about what we said over and over and over again since our study of 1 Corinthians began. What does edify mean? Who can tell me? To build up, right? An edifice is a building, right? So what Paul is saying is, A lot of the things that may be lawful, and I have the free will to do it, and it's not going to cost me my salvation, it may be lawful for me, but it's not building up other brothers and sisters in Jesus. It's not working on the building. And how many of you know, we all called to work on the building. I'm called to work on you. You're called to work on me. I'm called to encourage you, you're called to encourage me. We are called to build one another up in the Lord Jesus. I'm called to teach you, and praise God, you're called to teach me. This how it works. We learn together. We grow together. We are encouraged by one another. And so Paul says, even though these things may be uh, lawful for me, they don't all edify. So, even though the Bible is a book Of Do's and don'ts we see some of that it is a rule book, but it's much more than a rule book the Bible is a book packed full of Principles Principles that enable us to make God honoring decisions and choices if we choose to apply those principles to our life Can you say amen? now get this God's word works when you work it, when you adhere to it, when you apply it to your life, it's gonna work. I found that to be true, and when I choose not to do that, then my life don't work like it needs to work. Are you getting what I'm saying? So we gotta take those principles, even though it might not be expressly written in scripture for us to not do something or to do something, you know, it may be a matter of Christian liberty, we've got to think about what the principle is actually saying. The principle that Paul lays down in chapter 8 is that in doubtful matters, and that matters like the eating of meat offered to idols, or in whatever matters maybe you're dealing with, the motive for Christian conduct in these matters is in regard to other believers. Now, what do I mean by that? What am I saying? When it comes to doubtful conduct, things that we really don't know what God's will is on that particular subject, then it must go back to making sure I don't make a weaker brother or sister stumble. Amen? I don't want my conduct or my actions to cause someone else to be worse off in their walk with Jesus. Again, I want to build them up. I want to help them be better. And if eating meat offered to idols offends them, what did Paul say? I'm not going to eat meat. If it causes them um, to be weaker in the faith, and it causes a division between me and my brother, if I choose to eat meat and he don't, then I'm just going to leave meat out of the equation because meat is not the real question, is it? What is the real question? What is the real answer? The question is, How am I helping my brother to be a closer follower to Jesus? And the real answer should be, I want to do everything I can to make sure I'm pointing them in the right way. I'm edifying. I'm encouraging. I'm building up. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's the main deal. That's the main thing. And that's what Paul, the principle he lays out for us. Now, he continues this discussion in chapter 9. And tonight what I want to do is read verses 1 through 14. And he continues this discussion and uses his own life in ministry um, as a blueprint as to how we are to make this work in our lives. And it's really good. I love how he does it. It's really good here. Um, I really wanted to go on to verse 15 um, and through verse about number 18 or 19 tonight. and Because I love that next section of Scripture. And we're going to do that next week. Next week, we're going to talk about how we lead, how we bring friends and family members to Jesus. The Bible gives us some fantastic truth, powerful truth, right here in 1 Corinthians 9 concerning that subject. So I want to invite you to come back and be with us next week. And if you've got others um, that are wanting to know how to bring others, their friends, and their family members to Christ, and bring them with you, all right? Because I'm telling you, God's truth is so powerful in how it teaches this on this subject. How many know that's my ministry, to bring others to Christ? How many know that's your ministry? Don't, Don't you want your friends and family members to know Jesus? Don't you want them to miss hell and gain heaven? Don't you want them to experience the abundant life That Christ promised to all who trust in him. Me too. Me too. And so if we really want that, then we need to see what God's word says about it. Because that's my ministry and that's your ministry. It's up to all of us, isn't it? In the pew and in the pulpit. Whoever we are, as followers of Christ, we're to be proclaimers of this gospel with our lips and with our lives. I'll stop right there. We're going to talk about more of that. Next week, okay? But tonight, let's look at verses 1 through 14, and I want you to see how Paul uses the subject of Christian liberty, or excuse me, uses his own life, his own ministry to describe the subject of Christian liberty. Look at verse number 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? And if I be an apostle unto others, yet doubtless am I to you. Or excuse me, if I be not an apostle unto others, Yet doubtless am I to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. I love that. Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as the other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Or I only and Barnabas have not the power to forbear working. Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges. Who, a vine- who plants a vineyard and eats not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth the flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say out these things as a man, or say not the law the same also. So he goes to the law of God, the Old Testament. And he says in verse 9, For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn, and doeth God say, um, careful, don't." Doeth God take care of the oxen, or saith he is altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope uh, should be a partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap from you carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, or not we rather, nevertheless... We have not used this power, but suffer all things, (coughs) lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do we not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so, hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live, watch this now, of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the truth of your word. And Lord, I'm asking you right now that you give us exactly what we need to see in this portion of Scripture. That, Lord, you would speak to me and speak through me your word to these people. God, I'm so thankful for the opportunity and privilege you give me to stand before an open Bible. Because I know your word is truth, and your truth sets us free. Your truth gives us the principles we need to make God-honored decisions each and every day. Help us to see what your truth is saying unto all of us. Help us, Lord, to see plainly just exactly what you want, and help everything that happens tonight to be in honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is discussing Christian liberty regarding his service to Christ. And he's making the case that he should be supported by the church at Corinth, that he should be financially supported. Now, if you remember last week, I told you that a lot of the reason Paul wrote some of the things he wrote uh, in 1 Corinthians is not just because he's being inspired by the Holy Spirit, even though that's true. How many of you know all Scripture is given by inspiration of God? And so that's certainly the number one main reason God the Holy Spirit is giving him what he needs for that church back then and this church right now, (laughs) for we have a living word. But not only that, these Christians in Corinth had asked Paul directly about certain things. Evidently, they had asked him about marriage because he asked that question in chapter seven. We know that he had they had asked him about eating meat offered to idols because he answers that question in chapter eight evidently in Corinth there were some people who had a problem with paying Paul and Barnabas and the missionary team uh, that came and did the work of the ministry. They had a problem paying the preacher. They had a prob- problem paying the servants of God. Now let me tell you something. I want you to know, you may not know this. Um, you may know it. I don't know. But there's some people who have a problem with paying the preacher. They have a problem with paying the servants of god for doing the work of god matter of fact i had a man tell me years ago i'll never forget it he was actually a um you know uh, a member of uh, let's just say well he was a deacon i'll just say it all right that's what he was he said that he felt that um he felt that you shouldn't pay the preacher because if you keep him poor you'll keep him humble He said that out of his own mouth. Now he said it, you know, kind of in a condescending, maybe a little joking way, but I believe there was an element of truth in what that brother really believed by what he said because I knew how he acted. I knew the decisions that he made. I knew the choices that he made. And so I think deep down he really believed what he said. A lot of people are like that. Now I'm thankful you're not like that. I'm extremely thankful you're not like that. And I am in no way saying that um, this church has ever been that way toward me and my family. I am so very thankful that you know what God's word says. See, a man that has that attitude, first of all, does not have a lot of biblical knowledge. And that attitude is sinful. It's sinful, listen to me, because it goes completely and totally against the teaching of the word of God. Let me tell you what else it is. It's extremely insensitive because he's saying that about a brother in Christ, a brother in Christ whom he's supposed to love. Amen. And That don't sound too loving, does it? I actually had a pastor come to me years ago, and he was living in the church, um, the, the home that the church provided for the pastor, and his air conditioning had went out. And it was in the middle of summer. I was actually there the week that um, the the air conditioning went out preaching a revival. And he spoke to me about it. He said, this uh, air conditioner's been out all week. But we've got some in the church that don't want to replace the air conditioning. Now, it wasn't that the church didn't have the money. They had about $20,000 in the bank. But nobody wanted to replace the air conditioning. So the pastor and his family is sitting in that house burning up day and night and the church having the money to pay for it. I'm just telling you the the, the attitude of the people in Corinth who didn't believe in supporting the pastor is the same attitude that a lot of people have today. And so Paul deals with it head on, all right? And he deals with it in such a way like he always does. I'm telling you something, Paul would have been a fantastic lawyer. He really would have. Matlock ain't got nothing on the Apostle Paul. That was always my favorite. Uh, Man, Matlock, that brother right there, um, could could lay out a case as brilliantly as anybody that I've ever seen on TV. Now, there's a reason for that. He had a script that he was going by, right? And and he knew exactly what to say and when to say it. And when he said it wrong, he got to do it over again. Paul was better than him because he didn't have a script. He just got God the Holy Spirit speaking to him. And as God was speaking to him, he was laying out his case according to God's truth. And that's what he does right here in these first 14 verses. Now he says something. He he says in verse number 1 that the, the first reason, the first argument that he gives, the first defense that he makes... Concerning his claim that the church at Corinth or to support him and his ministry financially is that he's an apostle. And he asks some questions. He asks four of them in verse one. And I want to go through them right quick. He says, Am I not an apostle? So let's answer the question. Is Paul an apostle? Yes, the answer would be yes. You say, Israel, well, what's an apostle? That's a good question. Let's define our terms. Let's look at what apostle actually means. An apostle in the Greek is, actually means one cent under special commission. One sent under a special commission. How many of you know the apostles that we find in the New Testament were given a special commission from the Lord to take the gospel to the whole world. They were given a special commission from the Lord to lay the foundation of the church. Now, if anybody met that condition, it was the Apostle Paul. Now, why do we say that? Well, we know for certain that he wrote 13 books of the New Testament, right? Right? We know for certain that he wrote that many. I think he wrote 14. I personally think he wrote the book of Hebrews as well. So most of the New Testament that we have, which the modern church is based upon today, it finds its foundation on the writings of the Apostle Paul given to him by the person of the Holy Spirit. So if there's ever been anybody who laid the foundation of the church, it was Paul. Amen. He was certainly an apostle. Let me tell you what else about a, uh, that had to be a, a requirement um, of, a, of, a, of an apostle. They had to have seen the Lord Jesus. Um, Ephesians chapter number 2 and 20 says they lay the foundation of the church. But we know uh, they were called as ones who were witnesses of the resurrection. They had seen the resurrected Christ. Now, why is that so important? If they're going to lay the foundation of the church... They've got to know themselves and see with their own eyes that Jesus lives. Because without the resurrection, there is no foundation. There is no life. There is no hope. And so God chooses these men who had saw him with their own two eyes after he had went through the cross, after he had died on the cross, been in the grave, and resurrected that first Easter morning. So he chooses the original 12 minus Judas. They had all seen the resurrected Savior. And he certainly chooses the Apostle Paul as one born out of due season, the Bible says. And listen, Paul too had seen the resurrection of Christ. You say, Brother, how did that happen? Well, he tells us in Acts chapter 9 when he gives his testimony, Paul says that when he was on his way to Damascus to imprison Christians, that the Lord struck him down with a great blinding light. Do you remember that? And he says to Paul, He says, Paul, Paul, why do you keep kicking against the pricks? Why do you keep kicking against the goads? I'm trying to goad you in the right direction. I'm trying to get you where you need to be. And the more I keep goading you, the more you keep kicking against what I'm trying to do. So I'm fixing to sit you down for a minute and blind your eyes because you've seen the light, the truth of Jesus. Amen. Paul 2 had seen the resurrected Christ. That's why he can go to Corinth and say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first four verses, this is the gospel message that I've preached to you, that Christ was alive, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, and praise God, he rose again, and was seen of above 500 brethren at one time. How can he say it? He can say it because he's seen him. He's seen him with his own two eyes. And Jesus, the resurrected Christ, had changed him. And so he went all over the world telling everybody else that the same Jesus who had changed him could change them, right? That's what he says in that second part of the verse. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? I love this part. He says, let me ask you this. Are you not evidence of the work God has done through me and continues to do through me. He puts it right back on them. He says the very evidence that God has made a difference in my life and is doing a work in me and through me is the evidence of the church in Corinth. Paul went into Corinth, this pagan city who worshiped many false gods, had all of these temples to these false pagan deities that were actually demons. We'll look at that more as we go along. And he went right into the middle of it and by the power of the Holy Spirit began teaching and preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And we all know when the gospel is preached preached by the power of the Holy Spirit God still chooses to change hearts and lives can you say amen he did it then and he does it now and so as Paul preached the gospel and the power of the Spirit people started getting saved and a church was born he said you are the evidence that I'm exactly who I claim to be he goes on to say I love this in verse number two And if I be not an apostle unto others, then others may say I'm not an apostle. They may doubt my apostleship. But you're doubtless. There's no way. You can make the claim that I'm not an apostle. You're the very evidence of my apostleship. Isn't that good? Pretty good argument, isn't it? Now, not only does an apostle, are they ones that are sent with a special commission, to lay the foundation of the church, not only are they required to have seen the resurrected Jesus, but an apostle also had a special miracle-working power so that the people who were listening to them would believe fully in what they said. Amen? You see that in the life of the apostle Paul. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number uh, 12... And, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 12. Paul makes it plain that he came to them in power, in in the power of the Lord. And so it's pretty evident that Paul did some very miraculous things while he was there in Corinth for those 18 months. And he says, everybody else may doubt, but you know what God has done in me. You know what God has done through me. So you remain doubtless. You can't say it. That I'm not an apostle. So that was his first argument. And then he moves on. Look look on down if you will. Uh, chapter 9 verse number 4. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Um, have we not power to lead about a sister or a wife as well as other apostles and as brethren of the Lord Jesus and Cephas? So what's he talking about? He said what about me and my missionary team? What about me and Barnabas? Do we not need to eat and drink too? I mean just like other apostles eat and drink. If I'm an apostle, and I laid that case out for you, if I'm an apostle, do do we not need to be able to eat when we get hungry and drink when we get thirsty? And then he says something in verse 5. He says, have we not the power to lead about a sister or a wife as well as other apostles? He said, just like the other apostles take their wives with them, is it not okay for us to take wives if we choose to? Now, Paul never chose to take a wife. He's just making the point just as the other brethren, as a Cephas does. So apparently Peter took his wife with him as he went about the Lord's work as an apostle. And as he went about the Lord's work with his wife, the church supported him. And so Paul said, if it's good for Peter, an apostle, and the other apostles, then is it not good for me as well? Let's go on. Verse six. Or I, only Barnabas, have not the power to forebear working. He said, what about me and Barnabas? Can we not say we're not going to work a regular job that the church needs to support us like the church supports the rest of the apostles? If you remember in the book of Acts, the Bible says that the apostles spent their time in the study of the word of God so that they might be able to give to the people what they needed and they didn't have a regular nine to five jobs. So Paul says... If I'm an apostle like they are, and I've already proved that point, you know, then then can I not say also I'm going to forbear working? I'm not going to work. However, Paul didn't do that, did he? We know Paul had a tent making business, and he used that tent making business for the purpose of funding most of his missionary journeys. Now, what he's saying is, I didn't have to do that. I could have forbeared working. I could have um, charged the church to take care of all my need. He said, but that ain't what I did. That's what he's talking about. Was it wrong for Paul to work and the rest of the apostles not to? No. Not wrong at all. Why? Because Paul had Christian liberty. He had the liberty to work just like the others had the liberty not to work. And God worked in both situations. This is the point he's making. Was it wrong that Cephas or Peter had a wife that went with him as he went about his apostleship duties? Was that wrong? No. He had the freedom to do that. Just like Paul had the freedom not to do it. Are you getting what I'm saying? This is what he's talking to us. That's what he's telling us over and over again. Now, not only was his apostleship, you know, his defense or answer to these things. That's what it says in verses 3 and 4 let's look there and I want you to pay close attention to two words he says mine answer now the word answer in the Greek actually means defense he said the way I'm going to defend this um, is just what we we had just previously read he says in verse 4 have we not the power now that word power in the Greek is the word exousia it means the right or authority he says do we not have the right or authority to eat and drink just like everybody else and if we do then we have the freedom, we have the liberty to take the support the church gives. Now, not only is his apostleship an answer or a defense, but his own human experience and our human experience is also a really good defense. Look look at the argument he makes in verse number seven. Who goeth a warfare anytime at his own charges? Let me ask you something, Brother Eric, I'm thankful for your service, brother. You've been in several different conflicts. When you went, Did you have to go on your own dime? When you went to serve your country, who paid for that trip? Who paid for your weapons? Who paid for your food? The government did all that. Why? Because you were doing the work of who? Of the government. For the government. And so that's Paul's argument. He says, look, if a soldier goes to war and he's doing the work of the government, then the government pays for the work. Amen? That's just common sense. Then he goes a step further. He says, Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? He said, if a man's out working in the vineyard all day, then he has a right to eat some of the apples. (laughs) And then he says something else. I really like this one. And who feeds a flock and eateth not the milk of the flock? Now, how many of you know, as a a pastor, as a shepherd, Paul was the under-shepherd of the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. He was feeding the flock. And he says, if you feed the flock, then you get paid by the flock, is what he's talking about. His own human experience was his second defense of his freedom to receive the support the church gave. But not only that, he uses in verse number 7, or excuse me, verse number 8 and 9, he talks about the principle that's laid out in the law. And he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 25 here. And it makes it very plain. Look what he says. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 8. Say thou these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? So he gives us the law. For it is written in the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 25, 4, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treads out the corn. Doeth God take care of the oxen? So what's he talking about? He says, if you've got an ox and you out there plowing the field all day long, getting soil ready, and when you get back to the barn that night, and you start unhitching the ox, if you muzzle his mouth and don't let him eat, would that be right to the ox? Would it? Of course not. Of course not. He says if the ox is plowing the field, doing the work that needs to be done to bring about the harvest, then you need to give the ox some food to live on. So how does that apply to Paul? And to every other pastor, what was Paul doing in Corinth? He was plowing the field. Amen. It was some fertile soil evidently because a church was born. It was good soil. It was good work. He plowed the field. He planted good seed. The good seed of the word of God. He watered the good seed by the power of God. And then, glory to God, God gave the increase. So what has Paul done? He's done the work of the ox. And he says, it did not seem right if God feeds the ox that the church ought to feed the pastor. Do you get it? Let's go on. Verse 10. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes, for our sakes no doubt that is written, he that ploweth should plow in hope and he that thresheth in hope should be a partaker of this hope. He said, the ox and the preacher needs to have a hope that if he does the work in the field that needs to be done of planting good seed and watering seed and plowing up the dirt, if he's doing good work, he ought to have hope that he's going to get to eat some of the fruit thereof. That's what he's talking about. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing that we should should reap from you carnal things. If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather also? So not only does he use the principle of the Old Testament, but he also uses the practice that the church was already a part of. He says, Others you have supported, then why do you have a problem supporting us? If it's good for others, then why is it good why isn't it good for me? I'm an apostle also. You've done it before, why do you got a problem with it now? Nevertheless, we have not used this power but suffer all things, lest we should hinder. The gospel of Christ. Paul says I, I should have, I could have commanded that. Demanded that. As a spiritual father. And the founder of the church. He said but I didn't want to do that. Because I didn't want to hurt the gospel. I didn't want to hurt you. And the preaching that was going on. He says in verse 13. Do you not know. That they which minister about holy things. Live the things of the temple. Not only was it an Old Testament principle. But it was. Old Testament practice to take care of the priests and the Levites that were ministering to the things of God. You see that all throughout. it. Let me give you just a few verses of Scripture before we go on. First of all, you'll see it in the book of Numbers over and over and over again. Um, And then in Leviticus 6.14, you'll see it plainly where the Bible promises that the the priests, the Levites, would be taken care of as they'd done the work that God had called them to do. And they were taken care of by the tithes of the people. So that's all biblical. That's all scriptural. And um, again, I'm so thankful that you see that. But it needs to be said because that's where we are, right? We're right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Isn't it good when you just preach the whole counsel of the Word of God, you get a hold of all of it? Get a hold of what you need? That's why we expositorily go through a book of the Bible on Wednesday nights. Not only was it true in Old Testament principle, it was true in Old Testament practice. It was true with the church in Corinth in the New Testament that they had already done this in their practice. They just didn't want to do it for Paul. Somebody just had a problem with Paul and his preaching. And um, that's not surprising either. But then he says something in verse 14 that we all need to take note of for sure. Paul says, and the te- teaching of Jesus also makes it plain that you should take care Of those who are doing the work, verse fourteen. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So where did Jesus say that? Let me give you two places. First of all, Jesus said it in Luke chapter ten, verses seven through eight, and then in Matthew chapter ten and verse number ten. If you will, brother, please put for me Matthew ten and ten on the screen, please. He says you don't have to carry a script for your journey neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet stays, for the workman is worthy of his meat. He's he's, he's sending out the 70 disciples here, right? To go out and share about the kingdom of God and the king who was now present with the people. And as he sends them out, he said, you don't need to take any of that stuff because God's going to take care of you. Now, how's the Lord take care of his people? How does the Lord take care of his men? How? How's he do it still today? Through the church. Through the church. Through the giving of the people. And it works in every way. How do we pay the ministers, the pastors? Whether I mean we're here, we have two people that are paid. We have myself and Brother Scotty. You know, how do we do that? We do that through the ties of the people. How do we fund the work of, the mission work that we do? Through the giving of the people. How do we feed hungry people and, and send money to, to um, um, the, the ministry we send money to every year uh, to provide the counseling for pregnant women who are thinking about getting a devo- or a, an abortion? How, how do we do that? Through the giving of the people. How do we do these things? Why do we do these things? Because God commands it. And that's how he chose to do it. He takes care of his men, his servants, through his people. Paul says, I've got the liberty, as a man of God, as an apostle, one called by God to receive the support of the church for the work of the ministry. He uses his own life, his own ministry, to teach all of us about Christian liberty. Amen? Next week we'll talk about how to bring your loved ones to Jesus. Can't wait to share that with you. Come back and be with us. And again, I invite you, bring somebody with you. Bring some of the church with you next week. All right? Did you hear me? Some of them ones that's here on Sunday morning, bring them with you next week. Just let them know. Just say, hey, I just want to let you know we we still have in church on Wednesday night. Just tell them that. Amen. Love to have you. I-, I love Wednesday nights better than any other to myself. This is my favorite service. Where are you going to go and get a hold of the truth of God's word if you don't get it in church? Right? Where are you going to be encouraged and edified and built up? and How are we going to grow together if we don't come to church? So invite the church back to service. I'll get off my soapbox. But it needs to be said, don't it? it? Needs to be said. All right. Any prayer requests tonight? Any comments or questions tonight?